0: When Leanne was eight, she lost a tooth, so she left it under her pillow for the Tooth Fairy, along with this letter.
1: Dear Tooth Fairy, how are you? I'm fine. So do you have a lot of teeth? If you can, please clean my room. My phone number is 235-0384. So call me,
2: please.
0: (laughs) That's Leanne asking the Tooth Fairy to go above and beyond the call of duty. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hello, it's nice to see you. Holy smokes. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good... and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Halifax, we have petty crimes committed by a nine-year-old, an eighth-grade love triangle, and short fiction about an insect that fights crime. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it has a lot to say, not only about who we were, but about who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. A big part of growing up is breaking the rules, doing things you're not supposed to, and trying your best to not get caught. When our next reader, Tony, was 12, she and her friends did get caught doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. They got caught smoking cigarettes. Now, Tony wrote all about this in her diary, and as a quick heads up, her diary does include a few cuss words, which we do not bleep. Also, as Tony explained on stage, she grew up in a small town in Newfoundland.
3: So all the language is going to sound very and I really have to put on the accent to make this work. So if I offend any Newfoundlanders here tonight, I'm very sore, but this is the way it's going to go. <laughs> Dear diary, now don't go getting pissed off looking back at and reading this in the future and saying, you're so stupid for doing that. I knows what I did was stupid, but I likes to do it, so I did it. Today, me and Shana got caught smoking. But it was all Nathan's fault. We were all up in the shed out behind his house. Shana had just stole four smokes from her mother. Two for me and two for her. We talked to the boys and they said to drop over round two because Nate's mother was going to the hospital in Radicton for an appointment so we could all go out in the shed and have a smoke. Because Derek was going to be there, you knows I had to look half-decent. So- so I stole Mother's new lip gloss from Avon, Shauna took her sister's cotton candy body spray, and we both wore our ex-co hoodies. We looked and smelled deadly. Now we had to be sneaky since we had the cigs on us. What if someone we knew drove by and stopped us and that's where we was going and checked our pockets? we would be fucked. <laughs> so Shana put them in her bra. So by the time we get up to Nate's, Derek and Cody were already all out in the shed. We still don't have the light rigged up in the, in the shed, see, because but Nate had a candle out there, so we were all all right. We could still see what was happening. Anyway, to the point of this whole thing, we were having a good time, having a smoke. I actually think me and Derek were flirting. <laughs> When all of a sudden, the door of the shed flung open. Nathan! A voice screamed. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, it was Sharon, his mother. The light from outside broke through and the little shed was filled with smoke. Just the same thing as if you filled the wood stove with birch. Just fucking filled with smoke. Where are he? She yelled again, betting the smoke away with her hand. Shanna threw her smoke on the ground, and I knew Cody was going to be savage because you would have to smoke. <laughs> Derek outed his in his hand. It was kind of manly and kind of hot. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, so I just sat there. I seize you, Tony. Don't go trying to hide your cigarettes now. We all hurried out of the shed while Sharon told Nathan off. Now, Tony and Shauna, I will be calling your mothers. I never want to see either of you smoking again. Tony, you are 12 years old. Shauna, you are 13. You should know better. So off me and Shauna ran as fast as we Jesus could all the way back down to my place. And thanks be to Jesus, me mother and father weren't home, because as soon as we got there, the light on the phone was flashing. It was a message from Sharon. She ratted us out, for real. She really did tell our parents. We thought it would be simple, you know? We went into the bathroom, threw back a couple of Listerine sprayed ourselves down with the cotton candy body spray, changed our clothes. Just in the nick of time, Mom and Dad had come home. I wanted to throw up. I was sick with the guilt of the terribly disgusting thing we had done. I had to come clean. Shauna told me I was foolish, but I told her I could not live with the anxiety of the phone ringing and Sharon would seal our fate. Would I be grounded? Not allowed on computer? Not allowed to watch TV? Who would maintain my website? (laughs) Was I going to miss? (laughs) Was I going to miss this week's rerun of This Hour Has 22 Minutes? <laughs> we walked down the hall, and before Mom and Dad got up the stairs, I blurted out, Mom Sharon kind of smoking out of the shit, but me and Shannon weren't smoking. It was just the boys, and we were just hanging out there, I swear to God. Mom and Dad looked like they were going to shit themselves. <laughs> I was about to bawl. Dad approached me very slowly. Then he walked past, into my room. Took a look inside, walked back out and approached me again. My heart was racing. Every second felt like an eternity. This was it. Me and Shauna were in deep shit now and there was no toilet paper in the world to clean our arses. <laughs> if you weren't smoking, why does your breath smell like Listerine? And why does the clothes thrown behind your bedroom door reek like cigarettes? I burst into tears, so embarrassing, right in front of Shauna, but then she started to cry too. It was all too perfectly dramatic. What a performance! Better than last year's Christmas concert! <laughs> Tony, get out. Your father and I had to decide what we are going to do about this. Well, that was it. I was going to be pegged as a cigarette smoker. Shauna's mother was probably going to yell at us more. Everyone in the harbor would know, too, within a couple of hours. <laughs> We were already known as the troublemakers and I don't even know what the outcome of this will end up being but I predict my reputation will surely take another swooping dive. This would surely come back to haunt me when I run for office and try to become the next premier of Newfoundland. <laughs> it was a very stressful day and I have no regrets about what I done. However, I really did learn my lesson. Don't trust Nathan when he says his mother's gone to Roddickton.
0: Some kids write stories for their own amusement, for fun, in their spare time. Others, they write stories because they have to, because their teacher told them to. When Gordon was 10, he wrote a short story about an insect that solves crimes. He called it Blackfly the Spy. And as Gordon told me, this is exactly one and a half pages long because his primary concern was adhering to a strict word count. Please welcome to our stage, Gordon.
4: Black Fly the Spy by Gordon Shotwell. It was a dreary evening. Kind of evening you don't want to run into in times of war. I was spinning around in my favorite vibrating chair. I, I being me, me being Blackfly the Spy. Just an example of the kind of thinking you get into when you're going around and around and around. And... I stopped and immediately felt nauseous. I saw a black envelope, but I wasn't sure seeing as the room was tilting. When my eyes started getting used to this tilting, I saw that there was in fact an envelope. Inside the envelope was a black piece of paper. This must be blackmail. On the paper, there were white letters that read, Dear Spy. If you ever want to see your flea, footnote one, his pet flea, alive again, put 20,000 flen, footnote two, flea money resembling yen, in, in a plain brown paper wrapping and drop it off at the old McFly place at noon tomorrow. For those of you who weren't listening, I'm supposed to give those monsters 20,000 flen or they'll kill my Fluffy, which shouldn't be too hard for me, world-renowned secret agent. Well, maybe I'm not that good, but I've solved a lot of cases. Well, maybe only one, but it was a hard one. Well, it wasn't that hard, but saving a poodle is a damn good cause. I called the FBI and told them the whole story. The next minute, Fluffy was there, exoskeleton and all. The end. The end.
0: When Vivian was 11 and in grade 6, she kept a diary. Now, this wasn't a private, secret diary. Instead, it was a diary she wrote for school as part of a time capsule project. So, for posterity, Vivian wrote all about herself and what was going on in her life for an audience that she knew didn't know her.
2: September 2nd. Who am I? (laughs) My favorite drink is cold water on a hot day. If I could have one wish, it would be for my family to own a really nice house that would be close to the school. My body is big and tall. My face is not round. It's kind of shaped like a large, skinny egg. I feel uncomfortable when I'm talking to someone and I have no idea what to say. I don't want to move out of our house right now one thing I'd like the teacher to know about me is that I'm a Buddhist. (laughs) September 21st. Our landladies, Jean and Janet Morris, their twins, have told us to leave. Isn't that awful? They had to pick a time of the year that's cold. It would have been nicer of them to tell us to go in the spring or summer, but no, we have to be out by the end of November. September 25th. You know those pictures of collector's plates that come in the newspaper? I collect them. (laughs) I don't have very many, but it's fun to do. And some of the pictures are really neat. It's almost like I've got the actual plates. September 30th, we have found a house. It's on Pine Bluff with a view of the lake. It's pretty nice, and the people who own it are really nice. October 20th, we're moving into our new house on Thursday. Isn't that amazing? The movers are coming to move all the big stuff that we can't move very well. We're hardly packed at all. There will, be, there will still be a lot of stuff in our old house because we don't have to move right away. We have been living in Nova Scotia for three years, and this is our fourth move. The owners of the new house are actually letting us stay for two winters. That's the longest we've ever lived in one house. November 16th. I have now finished unpacking all my stuff and getting my room together. My mom made a shelf of sorts to put my stuffed animals on and we moved my dressers. The people who own the house left a bulletin board in my room and it's very useful. (laughs) I'm not allowed to pin up things on the walls very much because my mom doesn't want lots of holes in my room. So I hung up my plate collection and other stuff. Also, we have hung up my pictures on the walls and put some books on on top of my dresser. Thank you.
0: Today, Vivian is a writer, a novelist, and after the show, she called in to reflect on the writing she did as a child.
2: In a certain way... It inspires me now because I think of that little girl and the the sheer pleasure that she had from literature, and I, and I don't want to let her down because I now have the this great opportunity to, to write fiction and do exactly what she would have wanted me to do. Uh, so whenever I feel discouraged or whenever I have a bit of writer's block, it I find it inspiring to think of that child.
0: Like Tony, who we heard from earlier, our next reader, Renee, grew up in Newfoundland. And when she was in grade eight, Renee found herself caught up in a love triangle with a boy named Trevor and another girl named Norma Jean. Renee chronicled the whole thing in her journal, which she brought to our stage. A quick heads up, Renee's journal does include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. Live on stage in Halifax, here's Renee.
5: August 15th, 1989. Dear Journal, Sorry I never wrote in you while I was home. To tell you the truth, I never had anything to write about until the last couple of days. I'm in St. John's again now, as you may already know. (laughs) The first night I got home, I had to be home at 10.30 p.m., That was the first night Trevor was out with Norma Jean. Darla's cousin. That was last Thursday. I was home and I went up to the pond with Brenda and Trina. I swam out to the wharf with Brenda. At that point, Trevor was still going with Norma Jean, but she wasn't up the pond yet. While I was sat on war, wharf, Trevor pushed me over. I couldn't believe it. He was paying attention to me all day until Norma Jean came up. That night and the night before, I saw 10 shooting stars all together. I wished the same thing on most all of them. Then the next night was the killer. There was a dance. And Trevor never paid any attention to Norma Jean the first part of the night he asked me out for three fast dances in a row. After each dance, he would either take my hand or put his arm around me and say, thanks, my doll. I could have died. Then finally a waltz came on. Don't know what you got till you're gone. That was the song. I could have died again. During the dance, he had his arms up my shirt, and he was holding me very tightly. And, and he kissed me twice. It was magical. He even sang parts of the song to me. But I don't know what happened then, but I guess it was only going to go part away, the way, friendly waltz with Norma Jean and all that later on that night. But I was mad and got jealous. And I got Trudy's empty beer bottle and I filled it up with water and I sat in front of him and I drank it. Everyone thought I was really drinking. I even pretended I was drunk. You should have seen me. Trevor was so mad at me. I said everything to him. So did Aunt Delcie and Trudy. They were really loaded. I cried when I got home. I wrote Trevor the next day and told Trina to give it to him. I have a copy of the letter right below here. And I got time to read the letter and all. Trevor, I guess I was the last person you expected to hear from, but I have something to say. I don't think what you did last night was very fucking nice. Why didn't you just go with Norma Jean, the first part of the night, instead of just fucking around with me? <laughs> I guess when you kissed me, it, it didn't mean much to you. But it meant a lot to me, and that's why you, you hurt me so much. I guess you, there's no point in this letter, because I know it's just going to rip it up anyway. But when I guess back from St. John's, I want an explanation about what you did last night and why you haven't spoken to me in over four months. And I want the truth. Love always, Renee. <laughs>
0: When Caleb was in grade six, he wanted to be a hard-hitting investigative journalist. So, to hone his craft, he wrote a bunch of articles, including this one, an expose on winter storm days.
6: And this is a two-parter. Storm days, why we should stay home. (laughs) I think we should stay home because of all the safety hazards. Hazard number one, (laughs) the buses. Some kids take the bus to school, and it is a major hazard. It could easily slip on the ice and flip. (laughs) Like today, when we were on our way back from the assembly, we hit some ice and went out of control. (laughs) (laughs) Hazard number two, the grounds. Even if you make it to school safely, you could fall into a snowbank and smother. (laughs) (laughs) These are my reasons why we should stay home. And because I wanted to tell both sides of the story, this part is called Why We Should Come to School on Storm Days. (laughs) Because I'm fair. We should have to go to school on storm days because sometimes there isn't any snow on the ground. (laughs) I hate how if there is snow in Digby, they cancel school because our schools are in the same school board. Westport and Digby are an hour away. They could have 10 inches of snow in Digby, and we could have one millimeter. (laughs) And they would still cancel school here. (laughs) That is like, it's snowing in Paris, and you canceling school here. (laughs) Come on, does that sound right? Thank you.
0: Now, hard-hitting investigative pieces about Nova Scotia's storm days were not the only things Caleb wrote as a kid. He also used his grade 6 writing chops to write arts journalism in the form of music reviews.
6: Music review. Evanescence. <laughs> this summer, I bought a new CD called Evanescence Fallen. <laughs> You may have heard of them from the movie Daredevil. (laughs) They are part of the soundtrack. (laughs) I think all of the songs on the CD are awesome. (laughs) The only people who will not like it are people into bubblegum pop. (laughs) I give the CD 10 out of 10. (laughs) This one says private at the top, but private no more. (laughs) Music review, Lilix, Falling Uphill. I still love Lilix. Uh, listen up, Avril Levine fans. <laughs> You're probably anxiously awaiting Avril's new CD and have nothing else to listen to until it's released. <laughs> well, look no further, folks. <laughs> Lilix, the all-girl group from British Columbia, is Avril Levine times four. <laughs> And unlike Avril, they write their own songs by themselves and they play their own instruments. My favorite song on the CD is Quicksand. It is written by the bassist of the group, Louise Burns. It has dance elements with a rock edge. (laughs) I think the CD has wonderful producers as well. (laughs) I give the CD a 9 out of 10. And that's it.
0: Okay, remember the part where Caleb was reviewing the Lilix CD, and he said,
6: My favorite song on the CD is Quicksand. It is written by the bassist of the group, Louise Burns.
0: Well, I reached out. Hi, this is
1: Louise Burns calling, a.k.a. Louise Burns of Lilix, the writer of the song Quicksand. When I heard this review, I just, I don't even know. I couldn't process it because I haven't thought about the song Quicksand in probably 15 years, which is how long ago I wrote it. Um, It's strangely reassuring, and it's really nice to hear because when you think of something you've written when you were your 13 or 14-year-old self, it's usually something you want to bury away and never think about again. And I went through my awkward teenage phase in public, and... Everything I've written that is terrible or not terrible is out there on the internet somewhere for for somebody to find. So for Caleb to say that he liked quicksand is just so heartwarming to me and reassuring for some reason to my life path. I don't know. It's, It's a spiritual experience I'm having here. But um it's also really cool that he noticed that we were the soul songwriters and we played our own instruments. I, I remember being that age and being really adamant that people knew that about Lilix. So <laughs> I'm impressed that he found that out. His journalism skills are excellent even at that age. But Caleb, you gave Evanescent a 10 out of 10. <laughs> you gave Lilix a 9 out of 10. Come on, man. That's just not fair.
0: Our next reader, Sarah, shared a few diary entries written when she was 9 and 10 and living in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And these entries cover stealing, friendship, and that all-too-common childhood fantasy of running away from home. Live on stage in Halifax, here's Sarah.
7: Today was the last day of school, but that's not important right now. I'm thinking of running away. I can't tell anyone. I'm not sure how to get to Catch Harbor, but I'm going to walk to my Aunt Diana's and stay there for a while. The next time something happens, I'm gone. I'm waiting until my birthday passes, though, so I can take my birthday money and presents with me. (laughs) I'll check up on my friends soon, but they have to swear not to say anything. I don't want to be found out. I'll only go for a few days. I just have to get away for a while. Get away from my tempered brother, my overdone father, and my grumpy mom. I know it's a weird idea, but I just have to. I won't be long, I just want them to know I'm gone. I just want to see if they can live without me, if they can survive. (laughs) Many, many months later. Today, Tara came over in the morning and we dressed cool. We put on makeup, we packed a purse and put on heels. Then we went to the library. (laughs) I got some awesome tapes. Paula Abdul, shut up and dance. Silk, lose control and Bobby Brown, Bobby. The rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) December 8th. I hate Tara, and I am prepared to fight her. (laughs) December 22nd. I can't wait until Christmas. I might get some lipstick for Tara. (laughs) I'd have to steal it though. It may come as a shock to you, but I steal. I, I have to, even though it's against the law. It's convenient. You can get something you need or want without paying. (laughs) So, uh, so it's quite clear that I came back to this diary later, and uh, I faked an entry because I had so much guilt about this. So, in totally different writing, the next day, hi, I can't believe I ever thought of stealing. I only stole twice, and the things I stole, I put back and didn't tell anyone. Well, nothing more to say, so bye.
0: (laughs) You you can catch Sarah at our follow-up series, Grown Ups Read Revisionist History, they wrote as kids. (laughs) That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at the company house in Halifax and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. We have a website where you can listen to past episodes, see photos from our live events, and sign up for our email newsletter. You can find it at Grown Read Things They Wrote As Kids dot com. And if you like this show... Recommend it. Grownups Rethinks They Wrote as Kids has always been a word of mouth kind of thing, so spread the word. And good news for anybody who uses an Android device Google recently announced built in support for podcasts in the Google Play Music app. So if you have friends or family who use Android, send them our way. You can search for Grownups Rethinks They Wrote as Kids in the Google Play Music app on most Android devices. There is also a link in the show notes to this episode. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.